0: Heavenly Father, we pray, please, in humility that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would help us to understand, that you would enlighten our minds and enlighten our hearts, that we might see you, that we might be built up and strengthened, redirected to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Harold Philby, also known as Kim, and Nicholas Elliott, um, initially, they were, just, they were work colleagues together in MI6, you may well know the story, um, but soon they struck up a deep friendship um, such that for almost 30 years, they not only worked together, but um, holidayed together, and partied together, drank together, ate together, uh, spent time together. Their wives and their families were deeply entwined. They grieved together. They trusted each other implicitly. That was until the day that Nicholas uh, realized that his friend was not a friend at all. That Kim Philby was in fact a Soviet agent spying uh, for uh, Soviet Russia. And that for the entire duration of their friendship, almost 30 years, uh, Philby had feigned friendship uh, in order to use Eliot to get information to pass on to Soviet Russia. What an awful experience to realize that his friend had no interest and no concern in him at all, but was simply using him for what he could get out of him to pass on. The last few weeks, we've been looking at various passages that have encouraged us to come to God with our different needs. Uh, So two weeks ago, we thought about coming to God for forgiveness. Uh, Last week, we thought about coming to God for help when we're tempted. And there are any number of other legitimate needs that we could consider. Coming to God for wisdom when we don't know what to do. Coming to God for guidance when we're at a crossroads. Uh, Coming to God for comfort when we're sad. Coming to God for, for provision when we're lacking. And so on and so on and so on. Because our God is a tender and merciful God, we can come to him with our needs. But there's always just a risk when outlining all of these different ways in which God can help us and all of these different things that God can give us. The risk is that we can begin to simply use God for the stuff that he gives us. We can begin to use God as a means, as if he were some kind of magic genie or some kind of divine vending machine, coming to him for those reasons instead of coming to him and delighting in him for who he is. And so having thought about coming to God for forgiveness and coming to God for help and temptation, I wanted to speak this morning on coming to God for God. coming to God for relationship with him. And to ask this question, at heart, is your Christianity essentially about the life and the stuff that God can give you, good things though they may be, or is it essentially about a relationship with God himself? I think John 6 is a really helpful uh, passage to consider this question. Coming to God for God. Um, As it was being read out to us, I guess it takes a little while to um, see what's actually going on in this chapter, in John chapter 6. Uh, We begin with Jesus on a boat, uh, crossing to the the far side of the Sea of Galilee, verse 1. And he's followed by a great crowd... Uh, not, uh, not far behind him, verse 2. Then on the other side, uh, Jesus goes up a mountainside with his disciples, verse 3. And as he looks up from where he's sitting, who does he see? The great crowd again coming towards him. And so Jesus feeds them. He does a, a feeding miracle, beginning with just two fish and five loaves. He multiplies the food so that five loaves become 10, becomes 20, and 40, and 80, and so on and so on, until 5,000 hungry men are so stuffed full that they can't possibly eat another bite. And as the crowd finishes chewing, they start to chatter about Jesus. And before long, a plan emerges among them. We're told in verse 15 that they intended to come and make Jesus king by force. Let's make him our king. Yeah, Yeah. he can be our free lunch king. Yeah, all hail the free lunch king. All hail the free lunch king. Getting wind of this, what does Jesus do? Again, we're told he withdraws to a mountain by himself. So do you see the dynamics so far? This is really a great big game of cat and mouse. The crowd are in hot pursuit of Jesus, and Jesus is trying to escape them. And it continues. So in verse 16, we see that that evening, his disciples go down to the lake and set off in a boat for Capernaum by themselves. Jesus isn't with them. He's still up the mountain. And then, under the cover of darkness, verse 17, that is when the crowd is presumably fast asleep, Jesus comes down the mountainside and walks at three or four miles across the water, joining his disciples in the boat, and they go to the other side. It is a perfectly orchestrated, stealth like escape. And it works a treat. Because the next morning, the crowd are left scratching their heads. Where is Jesus? Let me just read verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. In other words, they begin to say to themselves, Look, Jesus isn't here, he's not on this side. Um, they, 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 they only had one boat and it was the disciples and only the disciples who got into it last night, some of you saw it he has to be here there's no other way, he's on this side of the shore, and so presumably they go looking for him, until finally after who knows how long, someone says listen, I don't understand it but he can't be here, he just can't be here we haven't found him it's almost lunchtime. come on, let's go to the other side And so they go to the other side and finally catch up with Jesus. And so we've got to ask the question, what's going on? Why is this crowd chasing Jesus all across the countryside? What do they want? And why is Jesus trying to escape from them? Surely Jesus should be glad to have such a great crowd of followers coming after him. Isn't that what he wants? Well, the whole thing comes to a head in verse 26, where Jesus confronts the crowd. Key verse, verse 26. And Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, he says to the crowd, look, you lot have been chasing me these last few days, not because you're interested in believing in me or believing in God or following me or because you're intrigued as to what the signs that I do point to, but simply because you want another free lunch. And how they react to Jesus actually just confirms this. They say to Jesus, no, 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 Jesus, that's not the case. We do want to believe in you. Let's listen to verse 30 and 31 though they say to him what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you what will you do our ancestors at the manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat in other words they say to Jesus look Jesus we are well up for believing you we really are but you'll understand you'll do us a miracle right uh, it's just so that we can be sure, so that we can believe. Um, I don't know, I mean, maybe in, in I mean, the Bible it talks about God's providing manna, maybe a feeding miracle. So you see, their motive is so obvious. They're not interested in believing in him or following him or knowing him. All they want, having been fed the day before, is another all-you-can-eat free lunch and what we see here is that quite simply Jesus isn't up for being used like that that's why he avoids them we see from this narrative that he'd rather sit on a mountainside by himself than be crowned their free lunch king he'd rather see this crowd go home and disperse than be followed by them for the wrong reason. And by the end of the chapter, that is what happens. Because Jesus refuses to feed them again, because he teaches them of the importance of following him for the right reason, what happens? uh, Chapter 6, verse 66, we're told, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In other words, the crowd goes from 5,000 plus and growing to 12, because he is simply not up for being used for free lunches. And you see, what we see of Jesus here is that Jesus doesn't need their support. He doesn't need a huge, great gathering and following. He's not some politician canvassing for votes, uh, promising a tax cut here and a few more school places there, if only they would vote for him. He's not like that. He doesn't need their vote. He's not dependent on their support. Um, he is the king of the universe, whether they follow him or not. And therefore, this deal that they're trying to strike with him, you know, you give us another free lunch, we'll believe in you, is of absolutely no interest to him at all. He doesn't need them. He's not up for being used. So what is the right reason to come to him? What should they have come to Jesus for? Well, Jesus tells them, verse 27. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Or verse 35, He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, he says to them, look, if you want food that spoils, if you want food that's going to uh, fill your belly and sustain you for a day, go to the bakers. Go to to the, the, the bakery counter at Tesco. But if you want bread that endures to eternal life, That is, if you want an eternal relationship with God, because that is what eternal life is, John 17, 3, if you are hungry to know and be known by God, if you're not so much bothered by your rumbling belly as the the God-shaped hole inside of you, then come to me, and I'll be glad to help you. In other words, don't just come to me for stuff. Come to me for me. Come to me for an eternal relationship with God. Well, two questions for us to consider as we think about applying this. The first um, is this. To what extent do we like this crowd? Um, Do we only really come to Jesus for stuff? Uh, do we essentially see Jesus as a kind, of, a, a kind of genie or a divine vending machine, a means to get the stuff and the life and the lifestyle that we really want? Now, please don't mishear me. Um, it is not wrong uh, to ask God to provide for our material needs, not at all. Uh, Jesus positively instructs us in the Lord's Prayer to ask God for our material needs, to pray for our daily bread. So to pray and ask God to meet our material needs, to ask God for things like good health and food to eat and somewhere to live, that is not wrong at all. It's, it's good. And to pray that God wouldn't just provide what we need, but even to ask him for what we want, likewise is not necessarily wrong. And you know, It could be quite appropriate to pray and ask God that he would give us a spouse, or children, or friends, or a well-suited job, or help in our exams, or whatever it is. That could be quite appropriate, not necessarily wrong. The question isn't, do we come to God for these things? The question is, are these things the only reason we come to God? Do we only really come to Jesus for stuff? might we tell if that was the case? Well, here are two uh, diagnostic questions, if you like, to chew on and talk on over lunch. Firstly, think about this question. How much of my devotional life is me asking God for stuff? That's a good question to ask. How much of my devotional life is me asking God for stuff? Give us this day our daily bread, that is one-eighth of the Lord's prayer, 12.5%. In a crisis, of course, um, our needs are going to feature very prominently in our prayers. That is normal, that is natural. If you're in a crisis, this is not the time to uh, be asking yourself this diagnostic question. It's normal and natural to be pouring out your heart and, and telling God about your needs and asking Him to provide. But if at other times, not in a crisis, my devotional life is regularly uh, dominated by prayers for a house, a spouse, good health, a better job, and so on. That is, if these are the only things I'm speaking to God about, I've got to ask myself the question, am I really just being like this crowd, coming to Jesus really just for stuff? Another diagnostic question to think through and chat over, uh, over lunch about. Um, how do I respond when God doesn't give me the stuff that I've asked for? Uh, when, the, when the house move falls through, or the job interview falls flat, or the exam results aren't just quite as hoped for? Now, natural. Uh, Response, a normal response, will be to feel disappointed, of course, and sad, maybe even distressed. That is normal, that is natural. A A more worrying response is if I respond to unanswered prayer by feeling like I should just give up on Jesus, by feeling like he's let me down, by feeling like he hasn't kept his side of the bargain. Again, if that is the case, I need to ask myself the question Am I being just like this crowd? Has Jesus really just become to me a magic genie or a divine vending machine, a means to get the stuff and the life and the lifestyle that I really want? Well, if that is you, and I guess it is all of us at points, and you recognize that tendency within you, can I encourage you to, to turn from it and to come afresh to Jesus for forgiveness? And to come to him for what is far, far better and a relationship, an eternal relationship with God. So the second question for us to think about as we think about applying this is will you instead come to Jesus for an eternal relationship with God? God is the one for whom we were all made. We were singing about that earlier. Augustine said this, You, Lord, have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Pascal said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God. God is the one for whom we were made. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God made us, he invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, it wouldn't run properly on anything else. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. We were made for relationship with God. So will you come to Jesus for an eternal relationship with God? Because, of course, to know God and be known by him, to be one of his children and get to call him our father, to experience his fatherly care and compassion and concern, to have his spirit dwell within us, to hear him speak to us as we open up his word, as we speak back to him, as we engage in prayer, as we walk through life with him at our side, this is what we were made for. And it is also the centerpiece of what Jesus offers us in the gospel, relationship with God himself. So will you come to him for him? He is the greatest gift that he can give us. Not just that, he's, he is the Uh, most expensive gift that he can give us. Relationship with him is the costliest gift that he can give us. You know, you think about Jesus providing uh, food for the 5,000. To do that costs Jesus nothing. Uh, To give us the stuff that we need and even the stuff that we want, again, costs Jesus nothing. To give us an eternal relationship with God, though, costs him everything. Everything. Because of our sin, we spurn the one for whom we were made. And so to mend the relationship, to bring relationship, it costs the father, the son, it costs the son his, his very life. It cost him everything. There is no greater gift, there is no gift more costly than relationship with the one for whom we were made. So will you come to Jesus for that eternal relationship Will you come to God for God? Let's pray. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Heavenly Father, we recognize and confess uh, the ways in which at points and in places we have thought of you wrongly, that we have been more excited by the gifts that you give than by you yourself. Heavenly Father, please would you forgive us. And change us, we pray, please, that we may not resemble this crowd. But that we may come to you for a relationship with you. That we might prize eternal life. Because at its very heart is a relationship with you, the one for whom we were made. So, Lord, we pray, would you work in our hearts. And would you satisfy us and fulfill us in knowing you and being known by you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for all that he did to make that possible. We do not take that for granted, but thank you in Jesus' name.